This is episode three of the Brick and Data podcast, a podcast dedicated to retail news, analytics, and tech. Coming up in this episode, retailers aren't texting enough. Wayfair getting into VR. Amazon selling cars. Store closings help earnings. Hello, everyone. Today is Friday, August 26th, and welcome to another episode of the Brick and Data podcast. This is Todd Harris, and I'm joined by Jose Chan. Hi, everyone. So, Jose, let's see what we've got here today. Uh, retailers aren't texting enough. This this one is, I, I don't know, I wouldn't mind less texts in general from advertisers and stuff like that, but I'm curious, you know, what, what do you think of this? Are they texting enough? Do you get texts from uh, from retailers? Is it more of a location-based thing maybe for you. I don't know. I don't, I don't really want to be barraged by text, to be honest, from retailers. Maybe I'm that's why you. it's the least used, right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you, Todd. I yeah. think text seems to be the most prevalent use of communication today, right, in, in terms of how we communicate other than email. But the, the, the what I find personally uh, problematic is just that. It's just too personal, right? I use it for personal communications, but to get... Uh, text from email uh, from retailers, not sure that I need more text than I already have. It's kind of like the way email used to be. And I'm not sure if it's generational, right? Because I think I'm sure we'll find plenty of people who will say, yeah, it's great. I love getting the the text. But even then, it's a bit intrusive. And I guess it's it's the question of uh, how much is too much sometimes. It's the general CRM question that's been around for, or marketing question that's been around for a while. Uh, Yeah. I mean, maybe if it's, um, I hinted to the location-based thing. So maybe if it was the kind of thing where I guess this is where beaconing comes into play, but I I don't know. I I usually disable beaconing on my phone because I just, I just don't find it uh, necessary because it's an added piece of thing I need to enable, which I just generally don't like. And maybe a lot of people don't too. I'm not quite sure, but I don't know. Maybe if I walked into a CVS or into a Home Depot and and they texted me the notable the notable offers or sales or the kind of you don't want to miss these just that's happening today or something that would be kind of cool I mean that would be an engagement a very simple engagement assuming I'm not getting charged per text message like you used to ten years ago um, yeah I mean I, it wouldn't be that bad I mean it would I would prefer that. It'd be more effective than an email at the time it would be more effective than a phone call because no one wants to get a phone call in general. Um, uh, social media and getting a tweet about it, that's takes a little bit more information on who you exactly you are maybe, or I'm not quite sure how that would work, but in mobile apps, yeah, that, that would be that kind of, you know, you have your CVS app open and the beginning enabled and they pop you some offers. There's no guarantee that people are going to have that in the day-to-day rush of going to the store to get what they need. So maybe a simple text, assuming they had that information and it was accurate, you know, a lot of assumptions here would be kind of cool. I wouldn't mind it, I guess, if it was when I'm in the store or if it, you know, offers something immediate, uh, you know. I'm with you. Look, <laughs> I, I, I see it. And so, as I mentioned earlier, um, I think that if it's done well, yeah. uh, given the context and it's relevant uh, to you as, as a, let's say, consumer in this particular instance, then, then it makes sense, right? If, it, if it's, again, that question of um, when is... It too much. I, I think it, it goes back again. The context may have changed with the medium in which, let's say, marketers in this case, uh, perhaps retailers, um, communicate with an end consumer. But it, it, it's still the, the question is still the same at the core: is 
how often do you receive it and when is it triggered? Because if it's right. the right thing, like you're saying, right, and I fully agree with you, if it's the right offer at the right time and it's not too overbearing where you get five offers <laughs> in the first two minutes, um, then that might work, right? If it's something that, that you're looking for. And if you don't buy it, that's okay too because part of marketing is being top of mind. It's that mindset. Right. Yeah, exactly. And um, this this actually, this whole topic came up from a report on retailcustomeraxperience.com. At least they they uh, they posted an article about it. And we'll have, again, all these links in show notes. But uh, you know, according to the report, texting was the least used when compared to a few others. And we talked about these just now during, during this segment. Um, texting was at 29% used with email at 97%. No shock there. Phone... Phone meaning a phone call, I'm guessing, 66%. Uh, social media at 82%. And mobile apps at 32%. So actually, SMS is pretty on par, pretty close to being on par with mobile app usage, um, which, which is sort of surprising, actually. I would expect the mobile app usage to be a little bit higher, um, but maybe they're, maybe that's kind of on the rise type thing, and maybe it's just not quite there yet. But, that is surprising. Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of cool. We'll have yeah. to see where that goes. I mean, I, yeah, I don't really want to get text messages, but you know, retailers are needing to get in front of customers any way they can nowadays um, to be able to use all that data they have sitting there to get some extra engagement, right? To really, and we'll talk about that a little bit later of how how some retailers are changing things a little bit more dramatically than that to uh, to do some uh, to do more with the money they have and to make some more effective uh, decisions in general. So. Um, before we do that, let's, let's get into the, the next topic. Now that we know that retailers aren't texting enough, apparently, uh, <laughs> uh, Wayfair. So this is a little bit of a technology conversation and this is for the early adopters, I would guess. And, and but you know, Wayfair, Wayfair's topic here is about them getting into VR and Wayfair has always been on the cutting edge, at least of how they use data and how they use technology, um, given, you know, um, uh, given the business that they're in and they're just do some, they're doing something very interesting here related to virtual reality. And um, they've got this application called Patio Playground where their shoppers, if they have, this is, this is the important thing here, if they have an Oculus Rift, all right, it's not even, you know, it's not even this, the, the Gear VR or anything like that, which is your first step in. You got to own an Oculus Rift and these are six, $700. I think they're still being shipped out to people if I'm not mistaken. Um, they're available, but I don't think the adoption is is quite high enough to really get the mass market excited about this. But it's interesting because they're trying to kind of boost that customer experience. Right? They're trying to kind of give people that environment a way to envision their landscapes in this case. So their patios. And this is kind of cool for me because I've been thinking about creating a little patio in the back of our of our house here. And how do I even how can I envision that in my mind, you know, without just sitting there staring at it for a half hour daydreaming? Um, this is neat because it lets you envision it. You know, I assume take a picture of your house and plop it up there and then you can kind of, um, in virtual reality, place items on it, which is kind of neat. And you can walk around and, and experience it for yourself. Again, very small percentage of the population could enjoy this, but I, you know, really kind of neat stuff here that they're doing. Uh, yeah. And Todd, to add to that, look, it, it's kind of a little bit like what we talked about in, uh, maybe one or two podcasts ago yeah. about Samsung. Right with this VR technology in, in their stores, um, it's really interesting uh, technology. I actually used it not, let's say, in a retail sense, but I tried it out in a museum. So I was in a museum uh, in the spring, mm -hmm. 
And it was an exhibit where you would put on the Oculus Rift. And it was, interestingly enough, uh, not surprising, it was an architecture exhibit, mm-hmm. to your point, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and so you would uh, walk with the Oculus Rift. And as you walked uh, within you know, a few inches, you would walk into the different rooms of what was the imagined space of the future for the new wing of this museum. And it was, to your point, incredible. I mean, you're able to see things in 3D. You see people. Uh, It's very surreal at first, but you get used to it. And it's a really interesting technology. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out um, within retail. But it it is a little expensive at this point, right? It is. It is. It is. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess if you're you're buying one of those and maybe... You know, you're not as concerned about picking up a few pieces of patio furniture or whatever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, right. it is, it's, 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 it, it'll be interesting once the price drops a bit more and, um, yeah. and, and to see how people get to experience their favorite retailer and seeing, seeing either clothes or seeing sunglasses or seeing a car or whatever it might be, something to kind of pull you in more and get you to, to, to buy. And, and that's, that's, that's the basic idea. So yeah. Cool. And what's, what's interesting, mm-hmm. if you think about it from a tech standpoint, mm-hmm. so right now it's for the early, early adopters, right? So assuming that we get enough of an installed base, to your point, with a price drop, then we'll see this technology pretty much in many places. And let's just, I'm just thinking as mm-hmm. you're talking, in retail, you can imagine instead of having a fitting room, um, you could actually try it on an avatar or an avatar of yourself um, as you look at different things, different collections, different looks, right. it could be fascinating how, how this is applied. Again, it's a question of not going too far into this, uh, price right. and adoptability. I mean, will, will people adapt it, right. adapt to it? And, uh, can you have VR without a headset too? Cause no one wants to go into a retailer and plop a headset on and ruin their, ruin their hair. Right. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen one of these, these, especially, I think it's the Oculus also, I've only tried on an HTC Vive, but man, they are hair ruiners. If you if you don't have super short hair and you put one of those on, you got the strip going down the middle, you take it off and you have a reverse mohawk. It's no, really right. interesting. Your hair is like Krusty the Clown kind of look. Your hair, <laughs> hair's popping out the corners and it's it's disturbing. But yeah, so we'll have to, have to get over that hurdle too. Maybe by then we'll have an easy way to just put on a little pair of glasses and keep it simple. Who knows? But yeah, I mean, um, a, lo- a lot of these... Um, a lot of these technologies in stores will get uh, easily superseded by VR in, in that case. But right now, you know, you're right. You mentioned the, the mirrors I and mean, they've got the thinning mirrors and the, I think there's mirrors. I think I remember seeing at NRF this past year, there are mirrors where it will overlay a piece of clothing, right? Or it'll let you change colors of something to kind of right. just understand different styles. And how th- I like that. That's kind of neat. I wouldn't mind those at home. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Amazon, we seem to talk about Amazon every single episode. Granted, we're only three episodes in, but you know, hey, they're the they're making the news. It seems like every week at this point, and that's okay. And uh, hopefully, we're not harping on them too much. But this latest one is really interesting. It's about them with cars, and uh, they're not selling cars like we hinted to. Um, but maybe they're going to get to that point. Uh, right now, what they're doing though is they're essentially aggregating car information. So they're uh, they have all this d- 
data of this metadata around vehicles. So new vehicles, I don't know if there's used in there. I think it's just newer models, if I'm not mistaken, but I need to look again. Um, but it's kind of neat when you are doing that initial search for your car, you can go to Amazon now. Uh, the actual address is, oh geez, I don't know. I was just on Amazon and I went right to it. So I think what you can do is go to departments. I think there's a vehicles department now, if I'm not mistaken, or it might be in a, in a, uh, another bar. I'm not quite sure, um, below the navigation, but you can go there now and actually browse vehicles, which is nice. And what's even, what's even better is that they have, they have accurate information on the features of each vehicle and the, um, the trims, the models, the. Even the price, granted, it doesn't have all that fancy pricing that a dealer website might have to show you the latest deals, but it helps you get a ballpark on uh, features, functions, pricing, colors, you know, what do the tires look like? What does this trim look like? And even more, this is, this is the part which I think they're really going to hit home on is it'll be a place where people can see reviews because, you know, Amazon is the king of going to find out if something's good or not, right? Do I want to buy this thing? Oh, man, let's go take a look. Um, even if I'm somewhere else, I'll go to Amazon and see what the reviews are like and try to filter out the dramatic ones, right? To get to the ones that mean something. And this could really change the way that people buy cars, um, almost crowdsourced vehicles in a way, based on feedback and reviews while they're researching prices and styles. I, I mean, I don't know if we're going to get to the point where we're actually buying them this way, but this is a really interesting first step I think Amazon's taking. I agree, Todd. And look, with the reviews, they invented the reviews. So, I mean, they're, that's the, um, they, they've invented a lot of things. And that, that's one of the first uh, innovations that they bought online, uh, at least. Um, to, to your point, they're collecting incredible treasure troves of data. Let's, if we think about this, to your point, they're, I, I think it's, it's a smart move because they're testing so many things uh, that you're really not really sure where they're going to go. I don't think they're always sure where they're going to go. It's just a function of um, figuring out what works best. So if we think about this, they did this with, uh, I'm not sure if you remember, uh, a few months ago, um, they were working on private label merchandise, right? And Amazon private label merchandise, how can they do this? You're probably wondering, well, how can Amazon uh, create apparel that's private label? Nobody would buy things from Amazon. Is this the, con the same concept as Amazon Basics? Is that, yeah, is that what exactly. that is? Yeah, I love that stuff as far as like cables and tech stuff goes. I think it's great quality. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's essentially since they sell everyone online, uh, anyone that they can, uh, obviously there are issues with certain vendors that don't want to sell there but appear there, separate story. Right. Um, they're collecting customer data online in terms of what customers like, what customers do not like, why they like it, how they like it, when they like it. With that, you could build you know, a repository of information that helps you build your collection. And so they've been hiring um, you know, for this private label line. Um, and it's very similar to what you're, you're saying here about Amazon selling cars, which is not far-fetched because mm -hmm. cars have been sold online for quite a, quite a while. And let's imagine the future. I mean, uh, if Uber is putting out and testing out its first driverless cars uh, in the next month, uh, just as a test, then who's to say that we won't be buying our own cars online that we don't have to drive? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's many ways to, to slice and dice this. Um, I, think it's, I think it's beautiful in the sense that 
we're all kind of tired of going, doing the classic car buying process, right? Going to the manufacturer websites maybe and getting inundated with, you know, deal offers or MSR, MSRP discounts and, you know, these silly little gimmicks they get, they, they've been doing for years <laughs> to get you to buy a car. Um, it may be as simple as, you know, I like this car. It got really, really good reviews by other people um, that would be driving it that are similar to me. Uh, just give me a decent price so I don't feel ripped off and let me have the car. You know, some some manufacturers have, have done this already. You know, Saturn, when they were around, they did this kind of very simple buying process. And there's a couple other a couple other manufacturers that, that do things this way. But the, but this is the very least. It's, I think maybe it's less about the, the buying process for this, the cool thing. The cool thing for Amazon, like you mentioned, is the data. They're going to have this customer intention, this customer kind of, uh, uh, you know, feeling on a, a certain vehicle all the way down to the color, to the tire size, to the paint job and all this weird stuff. They're going to have all this data that they could possibly leverage for themselves mm -hmm. or to sell to manufacturers. Who knows? You know, but this is a huge, a huge business for them, it seems, you know. No, you're right. And this ties back to topic two in a very interesting way, because we talked about adoption, right? And here, this is an easy way to adopt this way of looking at cars because oh, we're all to VR. Yeah, yeah, to me. You're right, right. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so we're so used to reviews that anytime, I'm not sure how it goes mm -hmm. for you, Todd, but a lot of times when looking for restaurants, I'll look on Yelp yep. or see who has the best ratings. And that's the quickest way to make a decision in a city. Uh, that you don't know. Exactly. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or you don't know someone who you might ask. Usually, you know, it's asking your friends, but in, in the case where you don't ha know anyone there and you just arrive uh, in a new city for business, that's my first go-to place. So I it know. seems Sometimes natural. I feel like I'm way too impacted by, by reviews though, you know, <laughs> kind of <laughs> true. It, it drives me in a direction sometimes. I'm like, oh, they really like this. Maybe I will. And then you got to kind of <laughs> dial it back and be like, well, what do I really want here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. Uh, all right, Amazon, good on you for uh, trying to dominate yet another industry. <laughs> um so yeah a couple of weeks ago if not last week i think it was um and just on a rolling basis we've been reading about some big old retailers with you know decades and decades behind them having to adjust to the perhaps new way of of, of retailing and the new way their customers are shopping and maybe to adjust the stores they have open or adjust the way that they sell in the store or how they're selling online to in-store, all these different things. Um, but we've seen a lot on store closings lately, specific to, for example, Macy's, right? So they announced that they would close 100 stores and their shares reflected that uh, a couple of weeks ago in their earnings, I believe. And, um, and and now we're looking at it, at least not we, but the there's a company, um, a, a company called Green Street Advisors, which analyzed this, and there's there's a potential, you know, reflection on how other retailers could adjust in a similar manner. Um, do you want to take us down through that, Jose? Yeah. So so absolutely, Todd. So you're right. So once Macy's closed a hundred stores, their shares had a lift of seventeen percent. And so this Green Street Advisors study essentially said that, you know, how it, it, it analyzed how many store closings 
um, would need to take place for a given retailer in order for the earnings of that particular retailer to return to 2006 levels of sales per square foot. So they're equating earnings to, how can they match on a one-to-one, -one, the earnings to the sales per square foot in their stores, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Is exactly. That, does that seem fair to you to do it that way? Or is that, uh, what, do, what do you think? I mean, I'm curious as to what, is that something that um, is expected? Like, are they, you know what I mean? Like, are they expected to have the same ratio? Yeah, you know? I think yeah? so. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. So that's a really good question, Todd. So yeah, so um, sales per square foot is a key retail metric, uh, a financial metric. And so that measures the productivity of your stores. So obviously, you want higher sales per square foot because it just demonstrates that you're having a higher turnover and you're essentially, at least at the top level, expenses are separate, right? Yeah. Um, doing decently. And because traditionally, uh, these metrics were measured on a monthly basis, year over year, right? You could see incremental changes. Uh, but what's interesting is that th this has changed, right? And we, we talk about this often, Todd, and uh, it, it's, it's the omnichannel customer, right? So what happened in, in the 70s, let's go back in time just to give this a little bit of context. There was an oversupply of, of malls and of retail space, right? There's this building. Did you say 70s? Is that what you just said? 70s, Okay, correct. I got my, just put my leisure suit on. I'm good. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and th there's this buildup uh, of malls. So, you know, by the time we get to the 80s, it, there's an oversupply. So retailers, let's say from a business standpoint, right, and it need not be retailers, it's any business, uh, you can either increase sales by opening more locations. That's the easiest way of doing it. Uh, alternatively, you could organically grow your business by having new offerings within your location, or you expand abroad, which is another way of doing it. And those are the main ways. There are others, but those, those are the main ones. And so it was at that time is, you know, there, there, there's an economy, goes through recessions, but then it has its ups and downs, but growth overall. Um, we see that they start opening stores. And so this study speaks to that. So long way of saying of what, why, you know, there are a lot of stores now. Yeah. But getting back to this point of Omnichannel, uh, their point was, okay, with online being an important component, do we really need this many physical locations? So that's what I was thinking. And I was also thinking that maybe um, <clears throat> during the past 10 years, there was a bit of a pass given to some of these numbers. Maybe they're like, okay, you know, sales per square foot aren't what they were couple of years ago, but that's because we're focusing a lot more online and we're doing this. This is our plan for online to grow it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, um, you know, and we, 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 uh, they might forecast. So Macy's maybe forecasted, uh, in store revenues to drop by certain shoppers aren't buying things in stores. So they're going to go online and we're going to see this kind of growth online. It's going to take the in-store, blah, 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 you know, and maybe they kind of plan this out over a period of three, four, five years and maybe didn't see that change, which hasn't really taken place, that change of where people are actually buying, which mm -hmm. is still in store for the most part, around yes. 92, 93% still, dropped a couple percent over the past few years. 
but that's significant. And maybe that's what's driving this is that they didn't, they expected more perhaps to come out of online, you know, as far as actual conversions. Yeah, you're right. And, and it's a little bit about paradigm shift. And I fully agree. Look, brick and mortar is alive and well. This is just a, uh, this particular uh, topic is just one of uh, business practicalities. Um, yeah, does absolutely. it make sense to have mm-hmm. this many stores or not? Right. Yeah. And there's, I can't imagine the amount of cost when you look at a, at a balance sheet to see the cost related to each store. It's knowing how these guys present themselves. They're it, behemoths. So each store, <laughs> you know, cost related to, 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 to the coverage per square foot, to, you know, based on employees and, uh, the technology they have there, the expenses, and it's just, yeah, I can't imagine. And this, it seems pretty obvious that, yeah, shaving off a few hundred stores would, would do wonders to their bottom line. Yeah, you're right. And look, the two key things that a CEO, a good CEO, always looks at are, one, inventory and expenses. And so relevant to this conversation are really expenses. So you have fixed costs with retail locations. If you don't own a retail location, usually you have a 10-year lease. That's a big commitment. Uh, Your fixed cost for a large, let's say, big department store or any retailer, that's a big commitment. And so in this study, uh, these are interesting numbers. Um, They said, this is Green Street Advisor said, uh, that JCPenney would need to close 320 of its 1,000 stores. Sears would need to close 300 of its 700 store, stores, and Nordstrom, Dillard, and Bonton would need to collectively shutter about 130 stores. And this is all to return to the 2006 levels of sales per square foot. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I have a, I have a related number for that. And, and, and the number, I'm going to throw out a number here, and we can kind of maybe just think about what that might mean, but it's sort of related to this conversation here. Number is 524 square feet. Um, I was thinking maybe initially that number meant the average apartment size in Manhattan. Maybe? No. <laughs> or, yeah, I, I mean, maybe that. <laughs> close. 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 And yeah, no, maybe that is true. So 524 square feet. This is this is very interesting. So Walmart has, a, has found a way to increase profits by cutting costs related to employees walking the floor. Um, what they've done is that they have an average of one employee for every 524 square feet of retail space. Um, and the trick here is that the amount of space per employee is up over the past 10 years. <clears throat> this kind of directly relates to that, to that, uh, uh, to the store closings conversation we were just having. But the issue is that with fewer employees covering that amount of square foot and a very expensive store floor space and just in general, the retail brick and mortar itself, um, there's a lot more crime going on. Uh, there's less eyeballs there. So they're losing. This, this goes, I guess, to more of a, um, a, a loss conversation, right? Of, you know, how are retailers keeping stuff from being walked right out of their stores? But in this case here, I mean, they're getting less, potentially less production out of their employee out of their employees because there's more space for them to cover so maybe they're getting a little bit less customer time and um, they're not helping people as much or they're not in this case they don't have their eyeballs on the merchandise and people are walking out with it so i found 524 square feet up 19 percent as far as the amount of space per employee so 
they got to kind of level that out a little bit from a loss perspective. That's really interesting, actually, because if you think about it, um, it, 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 there's an interest. That's an interesting correlation because Mm -hmm. WalMarts are rather large, right? When you walk into a Walmart, so the question is, do they really need the employees? Ah, Uh, yes, that's what I thought too. You know, and this is where I expected Bloomberg to. This is where we got the article. It's from Bloomberg. How? Aren't they keeping up on the trend here of cameras in stores and mm-hmm. right monitoring right. people? With, I mean, there's tons of companies that have cameras on each of us and they're watching us walk down the aisle one person at a time. Maybe they're not using it from a loss perspective, but they're using it to track what we're doing, just to understand what aisles we're going down and what products we like and what we like to do when we walk in a store. But yeah, how, how are they not taking that into account? I'm not quite sure. Hmm. It's just interesting because the loss, so usually, okay, uh, from a retail standpoint, uh, the loss is usually called shrink. Yeah. And with shrink, there's always – that's also measured year to year, right, or month to month. And what you want to do is keep your shrink down because it's natural, I think, for every retailer, safe to say, has some sort of shrink. And it need not just be theft. Uh, shrink could be attributed to uh, inventory that's gone missing internally. Uh, perhaps it could be – inventory that's not accounted for in one way, shape, or form, whatever that means. It could be many different things, but we won't delve into that. Mm-hmm. Um, just from a, from a counting standpoint, right? So it's in your system, but it really physically isn't there. It could be theft, internal, yeah. whatever, yeah. just computer error, uh, clerical error, that shrink. So retailers have this all the time. So then it would be interesting to see, why do I bring this up, uh, to see if their shrink has increased time over time and what it's been, what it was and what it is. Um, and then we, we could have more data points mm-hmm. to try to figure out w- what's going on here. Yeah. It's an interesting topic. I'd like to see, I'd like to, I'd like, I'd like a little more color around that to be honest, to see mm-hmm. what, what exactly is happening there. Um, it, it can't just be people walking out the door with stuff. I right. Know. I mean, and, you know, and they said in the article that local police departments are uh, can be stretched thin. I don't know if they are, but really, I don't know. Maybe there's certain towns or cities that would have that problem, but I can't imagine it's a it's a, it's a constant issue everywhere. Uh, but who knows? We'll have to look more into that maybe for next time. And that's the show. Let's call it an episode three. Thanks for listening, everybody. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you could email us at brickdatacast at gmail.com. And we're also now officially available on iTunes, Stitcher, Android Play, and I think some of your favorite uh, directories such as Pocket Casts and a few other things like that. So we are going to list all those out on our website, which is BrickDataCast.com. And by the time you listen to this, that will be up and running and have show notes and places you can find us. And until next time, take care. Take care.